Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, where filmmakers become entrepreneurs. With my dad, he's a dork. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. I'm your host, Scott McMahon. This is the podcast where we try to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs. Well, I think I'm kind of failing at that because after launching this podcast and blog, I realized that I've just got to do what startup genius Eric Reese calls pivoting, pivoting your business. I realize I just have to cut to the chase faster and get onto a topic that will actually help filmmakers bridge the gap into entrepreneurship. So even though I've already recorded this episode, episode 14, with the lovely Lavenda memory, I'm going to have to get into the nitty-gritty faster in the upcoming episodes. So just be on a lookout that it's going to change just a little bit. So anyway, as I've done in the previous podcast, it's time for the quick tip. Today's quick tip comes from Mr. Eric Reese himself, and the word is pivot. In Eric Reese's book, The Lean Startup, he says the hardest part of a startup is to know when to quit, when to pivot, and when to persevere. So we're going to talk about pivot. You've got to be flexible and willing to pivot on your direction for your business or your film. For instance, I was writing a bunch of different screenplays, and they just... The story just got so big. It just got bigger than what I knew could be produced with the resources I had around me. So I had to pivot and change my course as I kept banging away trying to come up with a story that I could realistically produce on my own. And in business, my wife would constantly watch me start up a business idea, work on it for a while, then change. She saw that I was constantly tinkering and trying and failing, and she was just hoping that I would just pick something and just see it through. But I suppose what I was doing was pivoting, pivoting my direction to something that I could actually accomplish. And I did it. I finally did it when I made my feature film, The Cube, and then building a business to help other filmmakers with Film Trooper. But this journey took me a while to get to, so it was important that I made that pivot, though. I'm totally bastardizing this term, so please read the book by Eric Reese, The Lean Startup. And you'll get a better understanding of what it means to pivot. Anyhow, I hope this quick tip was useful. It is time for the interview with actress, model, and fashion photographer extraordinaire, Lavenda Memory, here on the Film Trooper Podcast. (laughs) Yeah, recording. Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. I'm here with Lavenda Memory. And before we start, you have a little bit of an eyelash share. It's good luck. Want to make a wish? Um, Yes. We're at the oh, case. Yeah. We're at the Here, case. I'll come to you. Yeah. We're at the case study uh, coffee shop in northeast uh, Portland, yeah, off Sandy. So I'll make sure to put this up there. But what are you having? What kind of coffee? Um, it's a soy vanilla latte, but they make their own um, vanilla syrup here. So. Oh, okay. So I went yeah. for the soy mocha. Now, nice. the reason I had to have soy is I'm lactose intolerant, so... Okay. So it's the Asian side of me, I think. If anybody wants to know. <laughs> so so I have a problem because um, I tend to love baked goods, especially cookies, and I, it's like an addiction, I think. Like, I eat it all the time. So we happen to be with the same uh, talent agency, Option Models Media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the funny thing is, it's like I went in there and I got, um, you know, Dennis said, hey... Like the, let's let's do it. Let's represent you. And then she brought he brought me over to meet the kid and Nina uh-huh. uh, for the modeling. Says, hey, do you think we can use them for anything? And they're like, yeah, maybe, yeah, you know that kind of thing. I think Nina was so funny. She's like, yeah, we could lose a little weight. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you're 
like, go, and no. <laughs> I go, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I go, I'll try, but uh, when the holidays come around, like, the cookies, you know, oh, my God, it's a problem. Like, there's a problem in my house because uh, my daughter will yell at me, like, where's all the cookies? They don't, <laughs> they don't, they do not last in the house, uh, like, whatsoever. I, uh, it's just so, but I did have, um, made some strides because the other day I was in the store and there's a bag of chocolate chip cookies. I'm like, I think I'm, I'm going to say no. And then I bought some fig noons. But <laughs> but that is a step. That's a step towards health. Right I'm about there. to like put a post on Facebook, just just admitting like a like there's there's not like a um, a cookies anonymous program. <laughs> I think I might start that to see if anybody has that problem. But <laughs> no, I'm yeah. kidding. It's bad. I, I get expired because I, I, I follow you on Instagram and Facebook and stuff, and so yeah. you're always like. I'm going for my run. Look at what I'm eating. Like it sounds like, honestly, you are living the life. Like a lot of us are living vicariously through you. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's start with. Thank that. you, thank you. So because this is a film trooper podcast, and this is supposed to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs, my goal is to interview like all different types of artists and like you know actors and and photographers and people in in the business to some extent or even even um even even i don't know what that is but even uh i want to uh interview small business owners or entrepreneurs so trying to help uh, artists understand like um a business perspective and then how to bring all that stuff together so that's kind of what the podcast is supposed to be and what you know what we're supposed to be as I let me repeat a couple times the same thing. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's what this podcast is supposed to be to help artists, filmmakers become entrepreneurs. So my question is: Let's just start from the beginning. What are some of your favorite films, or just like one or two that, like, that if you were watching it on TV, it just popped on that you would stop, like, oh god, I could just watch this scene that had like some sort of effect on you. Do you have any? Well, you know, it's funny because. Um I feel like I'm a, I'm very nostalgic when it comes to uh, all the movies that I grew up on. Um, so so any movie that I saw before like the age of eighteen is probably horrible, but I love it for nostalgic reasons. So like I think of Mannequin. Do you remember that movie? Oh yeah. Oh god, are you kidding? I well, there's two. Well, first one was Mannequin with Kim Cattrall. Yes. I love Kim Cattrall from uh, Police Academy and that, and then Mannequin and then, of course, once you get to Sex and the City. But did you ever see Mannequin 2? I never saw Mannequin 2. Oh I feel like it would, like, it would ruin it. It probably did. The only reason it, it was it. The only reason it was good it was because of uh, Christy Swanson was amazingly gorgeous in that movie. That was it. Yeah. So, anyway, that's from a boy's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Mannequin. So, why so. did that have an effect on you? <laughs> Um, you know, I think that that I read a lot when I was a kid, and I I was really attracted to to anything that was really fantastical, and that's that's really been a big part of um, my attraction to films as an adult too. Is like I'm really attracted to films that play play around with the line of reality and fantasy. So. Um, whether it's like a psychological thriller or something like that's really outrageous, like mannequin, hmm. you know. So interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, like, who would have known? 
Right. Yes, we're at. Well, and then when you're nine, it's like, come on, it's like a giant Barbie doll that yeah, comes yeah, yeah, to yeah. life. Like that's the coolest <laughs> thing ever. That and then that ho- that um, movie that came out with Tyra Banks where she was like literally a Barbie doll. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that's called. But and yet it's like burned in my memory. Tyra Banks being a Barbie doll. So let yeah. me ask you, in your opinion, why do we as humans? Need stories. Why do Why do we even need to keep uh, telling or sharing stories over and over? Well, actually, you know, it's really funny. I had a conversation with somebody about this like earlier this year, and it kind of freaked me out because with with all of the talk about technology and and how um, like overstimulated we are by technology and everything, it's kind of like tracing it back. And I was thinking about how we we told stories. Um, and we pass them on orally for like generations and generations, right? And um, that was a huge part of the culture. Like it was small, it was intimate. That's how you passed on um, your heritage, your your culture, basically. And then, and then there was the introduction of of books. I mean, the access that we had. We've, we've had to books so then it became a little a little less you know necessary to be in this like tight intimate community in order to relay stories and relay history and all of that um and today now we can all literally have like this instant access to anything to to information to history to stories without without like leaving our our desk or while sitting sitting at a coffee shop right. perusing gossip blogs, right? right? Like we get to read stories. Um, and so I was thinking like what still exists in like a communal storytelling element are movies. Like it's pretty it's pretty cool because movies are still this you know, it takes a team, first of all, to make them. So you have, you know, this huge production in telling a story. And then theaters, you know, I, I really value, I really value, it, it makes me sad because you hear the rumors about um, theaters going out of business because right. of um, they're going to do the instant movies. It's like 30 bucks or whatever. When they hit the theaters, you can also have access to it. Instant. Oh, right, right. What, what is that? Called, um Day and date. It's basically day and date means um, when a movie's released in uh, theatrical release, they also release it at the same time on video yeah. on demand. So video demand, so you can you don't have to go to the theaters anymore. The, yeah. Or that the ex the exhibitors they call them in the film business the exhibitors the people that own the movie movie theaters the houses. Yeah. That is why they're coming up with so many um, different ways to try to get audiences into their their venue which is like live like opera performances um, you can watch like you know live 3D performances of <coughs> like certain bands like you know uh, New Direction or One Direction whatever the hell they're called like yeah. these boys like anything to get like um, an event to happen and then u- utilizing the, the theater medium to do that so movies are you know just part of it but um, you're right so it's it's a struggle for them, and that's why they've you've seen some uh, growth of like the um, Cinopolis or something where it's a high end movie uh, going experience. Yeah, where you can get your drinks and your sushi and you know your wine and whatnot, and have these really plush seats. So they they realize they have to compete 
with everybody's amazing home entertainment system. Right. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. That's actually it's fascinating. You brought it up because it's the idea that it's community. Like it's just the the need to share community or share that we're not alone is why we're telling stories and it's always be there over yeah. and over and over. So let's get on with your story. So the <laughs> here's this. Um, in screenwriting the, uh, or storytelling, there's the, the famous author, Joseph Campbell, who wrote A Hero with a Thousand Faces. He's a this brilliant just like historian, and it's who George Lucas, you know, patented uh, his Star Wars saga based off the, the, the studies or the books that he read with Joseph Campbell. Because he what he did is he took uh, a study of all these um, amazing, um, like, historical, uh, cultural... Um, uh, stories, and he was be- beginning to see there's a um, a common thread for a lot of them. They all start off with uh, like sort of this ordinary world, meaning that you have to lay down the rules of the world in your first you know few minutes of your story or the few, fir- few first few pages of your story. So that's the way we can establish as an audience, like okay, so this is the type of world, these are the type of rules uh, this story encompasses. Yeah. So the question is. It, where does your ordinary world start? Meaning, like, where were you born and how did you end up here? Um, your questions are awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was born in Houston, Texas. So I'm, a, I'm actually a southern girl, trans, a transplant. Um, but I moved up here just before high school. And... Um, for family. Half of my family is in Texas and half of them are in, in Oregon. Okay. So, yeah, so I have this whole other sort of southern perspective and mm-hmm. background culture that... Was it a shock? Not a shock. Was it a culture shock? I mean, it's kind of hard when you're entering high school, I guess, you know, brand new, like, scene. Um, was the transition difficult? Yeah, I mean, I remember, like, I remember um, having these, like, terrible clothes, like, wearing little cowgirl boots, because that's, like, what you wore, you know, and, and, um, and, I don't know, yeah, I had an accent, I had a heavy accent when I moved up here, and so I got rid of that, like, within the first year. Well, people, were people... Not teasing, but it was. Oh, it was definitely a, teasing. Were they like, but teasing and like, were they being like trying to be mean or just simply like you would say something and they would repeat it like, "What do you mean, y'all?" Like, or were they being mean yeah, about it? Yeah, like they would, they would sort of like. It's like the kind of joking that you get over. I don't really actually remember that part, like with my accent, because I got rid of it very quickly. Hmm. But, um, but I remember the clothes thing, like, like girls are mean. Girls can be really mean. That Mean Girl movie. Yeah. <laughs> With our girl, Lindsay Lohan. Right. Yeah. And so, um, but I mean, that that was a really interesting part of my story, too, is like being a transplant and being a misfit because um, that's affected like who I, who I am to this day, the kind of like roles that I'm attracted to, the kind of stories I'm attracted to. Um, I'm all about the underdog and... I don't. I, I get pretty furious. Like it's a it's a short fuse for me if people are getting um, picked on or ostracized or left out for any reason. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that's interesting because that brings up the next part. Um, 
there is a um, another screenwriter who passed away a couple of years ago, but he had this series of books called Save the Cat. It's one of my favorite uh, series of books about screenwriting, and literally his whole concept, what he calls Save the Cat, is that every hero or uh, protagonist in a story so has to establish very quickly a moment of saving the cat. It just means that they have to do something, they have to show something to the audience, that they have some ounce of humanity that the audience is willing to buy in and say, okay, I'm going to follow this protagonist throughout this story because they did something psychologically that made me buy in and they had to save the cat moment. Uh, in the movie like Alien, Sigourney Weaver actually literally saves the cat. Like, you know, I mean, you know, or like, there's certain, even if it's an anti hero, they have to do something where you feel like they, some, some kind of ounce of some uh, there's action. There's a redeeming. Redeeming, value. or even if it's not so redeeming, some sort of uh, logical reason why they have done that, that we would willing to follow them through the story. Okay. The ones, the stories that don't work would be interesting enough. You'd be watching and you still don't know why you don't really not into the movie or not into the story. It's because you realize you don't really care if these characters die or not because they haven't shown you anything that you would want to root for them. So, or, or you know, because even if they do something despicable, they would have something uh, of showing some flaw that you would be willing to be like, okay, I'll follow this person because they're just messed up or whatever it is. So my question is, it's interesting that you have this uh, 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 um, affirmation or uh, uh, connection with the underdog. Did you have a save the cat moment? And you, like, did you remember as in your early in your life that says, you know, you're not to ask you to be, you know, beyond, you know, I'm asking you not to be modest and just say, hey, you know, I had this moment where this happened. I don't know. <laughs> it's a hard question. That's one of the harder questions I have. Yeah. Um, Do you save a homeless animal or anything? Or Sure. I Do mean, um, I don't know. I guess, like, high school was a series of those events. I grew up in, or I went to high school in a really small town. There was, like, 14,000 14, people. Wow. And it was, like, that quintessential movie town yeah. where like it was only football and like everybody knew everybody and everybody knew everything about everybody you know it was a really small town and I just wasn't into the whole weird like high school thing you know and right. I was like um I, by high school like I was pretty lucky because I you know I didn't my own experience wasn't that difficult. Like, I didn't have a lot of, like, people being mean to me or anything, but I was just over it. Like, I didn't like the whole culture. And so, one of my, like, anytime anybody new came to school, I was, like, the first person to be their friend or, you know, when other people were, there was a girl who transferred to our school who's pregnant, who came to our school pregnant, and, like, nobody wanted to be friends with her, and I was, like, you know cool like I want to know your story like how the heck are you pregnant at 16 like let's hang out and um how does that happen no, <laughs> <laughs> tell me about that um what is you talking about well there, um, you, well there you go that's your save that's your save the cat moment it shows um an ounce of humanity you know 
I was a bully. No, just kidding. No, I did actually. I, well, I was both. I was. Were bully- you? I was bullied and bullied. I bu- that sounds terrible. There was an incident when I was younger, where I, um, you know, I wanted to hang. I, I went to this crazy creative arts school where oh. they they combine like fourth graders to uh, seniors in high school, all in the same school. It was crazy because it was all about like uh, the theater arts, the dramatic arts, and wow. or visual arts, and it was it was a tremendous experience. In but San Diego. In San Diego, they call it the School of Creative and Performing Arts. Mm. Um. So, if you remember that movie, Fame, they came. They made a remake of it. Anyway, it's like this theater art school, and um, so I, I ended up being friends with a lot of older kids. So even though I was like twelve, thirteen years old, my best friends were sixteen, seventeen. It's crazy. So I had an early high school experience at that age, and being pressured, peer pressured, wanting, realizing that I was like, like supposedly in the in crowd because I was younger but with these older kids I did some um, you know it's like being part of a gang somewhat but this one kid that was just um, just very um, annoying like always wanted to hang out so they sent me to like beat him up like just start, like it started off it started off to be like a like a like a like a little ga- like joke or gag but then it turned out to be worse and I felt horrible remember this one time it happened like I knew consciously, like, or like, you know, you're that little uh, angel devil on your shoulder. Yeah. It was like, the angel was just saying, hey, you know what? You know this is wrong. And I knew it was wrong. So, but he was also, like, picking on my younger brother, too. So it was like, it, n- there's no black and white. You know what I'm saying? There, it was never like, you know, oh, you were the evil, bad bully that did this. No. Yeah. It was like, you know, this kid was annoying enough, like, but he still didn't deserve what anybody, you know, what, what I did to him. I didn't, like, thrash him. It wasn't like, you know, bloody. It was just enough to be like, you punch him a few times, you push him away, and you tell him to get out of here. It's probably the psychological things were worse. But he would just keep coming back. And like, it got to this point where this one time he came, came back and I just had to stop him. I go, I go, and I just start crying. He was crying. And I was like, you got, he goes, you got to stop. Like, you got to know when you're being annoying, you know? And it's like, the yeah. only reason we're doing this, like I'm doing this is because I'm they're asking me to do it, and I feel like I have, you know, I'm trying to stay in the, in the you know, it was just, it, it, in, in later perspective, I saw it talk to some people, um, it's, um, you know, you realize back then, you're like, oh my crap, like that, that was horrible, what, what we did, but, yeah. but he, he was, our, there was a kid that was a broken home, like, so he was just looking for um, some acceptance, and he was just forcing his way in any way he could to be part of some acceptance. Um, but in because he was getting that kind of treatment, he was end up like bullying my younger brother. So then I had a good, it was sort of a retaliation type thing. I don't know. It's right. like but again, it was nothing clear, black and white. It was always these gray areas, and it was like man. Ever since then, that, that I remember just like consciously making a switch. Like I will never do that again or do that because I had been when I was younger too. I was getting bullied, but it wasn't when you're younger. You could have a friend to be like. You get in a fight, like, I'll kick your ass, like, your bloody nose, like, all yeah. that stuff. And then two days later, you're, you're playing. <laughs> it's so weird. It's I, really weird. I don't know. I Maybe it was the neighborhood I grew up in, so, sorry. Boys, man. Yes, you're lucky to have a little girl, and I'm lucky to have a little girl. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I do remember, I remember being in a circle. So, this was in, like, eighth grade. 
And I remember the most popular girl in eighth grade getting really upset with me because I wore the same shirt as her or something or... Oh, no, 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 no. That stuff happens. Yes, it was crazy. Actually, what it was was um, a friend of mine had told her that I, who was not such a good friend, had told her, like, oh, Lavenda says that you dress, like, really preppy. And, which preppy, it's like, who cares? Why should she freaking care what I say? But anyway, so she comes up to me and she's like, I heard you said I dress preppy. And so she starts making fun of what I'm wearing. And I'm like, well, you do dress preppy. Oh, my God. Which I hadn't even ever said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't even ever said it. But I was just like, I had to stand up for myself. So she ends up being like, well, well we're going to meet up after school. Like, I don't know how people start start that. I don't even know the words of how you would. Anyway, I don't remember what she said exactly. But I met up with her after school. And a bunch of my girlfriends, a bunch of her girlfriends were out there. And we're like in a circle. I mean, first of all... In a circle? You're going to throw down? Right. (laughs) Like, she was going to beat me up. First of all, it's so stupid because I'm a tiny person now. Yes. And when I was, like, 13, I was, like, not even five feet tall. And this girl had to have been, like, 5'8 already. Oh, my God. So, I mean, it was just, like, so ridiculous. So we go out there to the circle, and she just yells at me. Yeah. For, like... 10 or 15 minutes and we just kind of yell at each other nothing happens circle breaks up we go home thank god (laughs) can you imagine so it's like the closest I've ever been to a fight myself and I do I kind of get it it's like it's like you're there you don't want to be there but of course you're going to be there like somebody's like threatening you and like what are you going to do like go home and like not show up to this you know so you just go and it's this weird thing where like but during the day, did you have, like, like this knot in your stomach the whole day knowing it was going to happen? Like, what was this, the stress and anxiety during the day? Did, can you remember any of that? I don't. Well, the only reason I ask that, because I remember getting bullied when I was younger. Like, yeah. This kid was, like, my friend, not my friend. He's, he, thre- he accused me of, like, stealing something, like his pencil pack. I don't know. Whatever it yeah. was. But he was his... I just remember on the, getting a phone call, and he was just telling me... I'm going to beat you up tomorrow for stealing my pencil pack or my folder. <laughs> oh, God. That was it. So the whole night, I was, like, in the bathroom. I was just, like, I was just freaked out of my room. I, you know, my family, everybody just goes on in their life. They don't know what's going on internally with you. Yeah. And I know that's what's going on internally with so many kids across, you know, the, the, you know, the world. Of that feeling of alone where you, you can't say anything. You don't want to be to look like, you know, you're weak or something. So this anxiety of this this stress and you show up at school and nothing happens you know like uh, he forgets about it or whatever it is but still that emotional thing just those words by another kid saying that stuff to you and you know I look out for my daughter wondering like trying to be aware like is she is there anything internal she's not going to share with us that something's happening that's bothering her you know yeah. all that kind of stuff and it's I just remember that feeling and then of course yeah, years, years later then I ended up doing the same thing to this one kid and so, who's to say? I'm sorry, I'm an asshole. There you go. <laughs> I said, you know, I, I have flaws. Right. <laughs> but it's, it's fascinating because it, then trying to help kids with it, you know, get ready for it. Years being four years old, mine being 11, she's in junior high school now. And the way we prepared my daughter for junior high school and high school, we showed her a bunch of movies like Heathers and the, 
Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles. And go, this is high school. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> so she just laughs. Oh. So I think she's like mentally prepared for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So I've gone off on tangent. I apologize to anybody listening um, to this because I, I sometimes do that with our conversations. And I end up probably talking way too much than allowing my guests to talk. So I apologize. Um, let's get on to the next part, which is um, Robert McKee, who wrote this book, Story. It's another great book about screenwriting and storytelling. talks about an inciting incident. So now we have your story. We have your ordinary world. You grew up in Texas, but you moved to Pacific Northwest. You had a strange transition into a small town. Um, you have a Save the Cat moment where you you know, rooted for the underdog because you felt like that when you were younger. So that's sort of where it's rooted. Now you have this inciting incident. The inciting incident is, do you have a moment in time that you can remember that you were like, I kind of like performing or the arts or drawing or paint, anything like that. Do you remember like the artistic moment that you may have had that sort of changed your, your life or your course? Um, you know, that was always present for me ever since I was like very young. Um, so there have been like several of those though. I think that like, like we could fit so many movies into our lives. So there's mm-hmm. like several inciting moments. You All know? right. <laughs> you get to pick only 12. Only 12. <laughs> no. <laughs> Whatever you want to um, share. Yeah. I mean, well, with acting. So let's say with acting in particular, um, I was in high school and auditioned. I never actually like performed a play in high school because I because I was a dance team, and so it always interfered with it. But um, I did theater all through high school. I took classes, and um, I love love performing. Like I saw these people. I really admired people who could do improv mm-hmm. and improv comedy you know because it was just so incredibly entertaining and just like I was in awe of it you know people who can do that who have those kinds of that kind of like quick wit and instinct are incredible and it's just like something I swear to god people are born with or not you know have you have you done anything up here with uh, any improv group up here um I haven't yet um I've been invited I haven't had a chance yeah, yeah. to go like the but... liberators and I don't know enough about it. Sorry. I'm still new to this area, so I'm still learning. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. The Liberators are a really um, well-known and respected improv group. Um, but anyway, but what I was really attracted to was, like, was the ability to tell the truth, especially in high school where, mm-hmm. you know, you felt like you were, con- you were always, like, living this alternative reality. Yeah. You, know? you yeah. really you really are. Like for me, I hid that I was a writer. I didn't know n- none of my friends knew that cuz it like I mean, it was it was weird. Like not until my senior year did I like did I really let people know what I was interested in and what I wanted to do. Um so like I dated a football player and no. he no yeah and he he was just like so uncomfortable like I was really into fashion back then and he was really uncomfortable with like me wearing anything that wasn't this small town look like oh. he just had this really small small town mentality so I hid a lot of things you know because it was like God you know if people are gonna be uncomfortable with what I'm wearing then what if they know I'm actually like an artist 
Oh, interesting. You know what I'm saying? And you're, so you're loose, man. <laughs> you remember that movie, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I would. Th- I, I think that that and that's still so true to me. And most actors that I know um, is you get to be real, and it's not only you not only have permission, but it's expected to actually be real and tell the truth. At what point did you say, I'm going to make a conscious effort to pursue acting? What was that moment? Well, (laughs) I was planning on doing that after Bible school. And I couldn't make it to L.A. Like, I wanted to go to L.A. It was sort of this, like, general weird dream thing that I had that had, like, no weight, no foundation. Like, I had no connections there. I didn't make it. Came to Portland instead. Went to school and created my photography business. And then by, like, a complete fluke situation, um, a photographer friend of mine gave my name to a casting director. And I went in and auditioned for a commercial. How long ago was this? Um, This was four years ago. Okay. A little, yeah, almost four years ago. And um, it was like a Verizon commercial. And I was like, oh my God, this is like the most fun I've ever had. And I know I totally (laughs) like screwed it all up and it was terrible and it was awful, but I loved it. And I, I remembered immediately how much I loved it, how much I just loved the process and how fun it is to play and... Yeah. Tell a story. And so um, in that waiting room for that audition, I met an actress who, she's now married to um, Justin over at Q6. Justin. I don't know a lot, but okay, so. Anyway, so she was so sweet and she like answered all my questions. I was being like such a retard. You know, I show up with like (laughs) no, I show up with no headshot no resume nothing and I'm like oh my god do you do this all the time like do you audition can you really you know I'm being like that super annoying girl and she's so sweet she answers all my questions she gives me um, my current acting coach's name and um, Jana Lee Hamblin of Act Now Studios right and um, and that was it for me like that was all it took like it was just getting that taste and remembering immediately how much I loved it and it being suddenly accessible and by the end of that month, I was in acting classes, and two months later, I was, like, signed with an agency. And just, there you go. Yeah. So, I was like, uh, my buddy had taken some pictures of me. Some, he's, a, he's a professional photographer as well, and he's great, because I, I look at your stuff and look at his. Like, oh, man, it would be funny to see you guys meet up or something. Because I had to put a little disclaimer here for anybody listening. Lavenda is an amazing photographer, right? I don't want to. I don't want to gloss over that. So it's like your stuff is is really top notch. Thank you. So he had some good photos of me, and so I said uh, I submitted to some agencies because I was like, what the hell? I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe someone come out of it, you know. So that's how I met Dennis from Options Model Media Options, and he said, hey, you got this look. You, it's called the you know the non-threatening ethnic look you know <laughs> I got you we don't there. know what the hell you are exactly but you're not you're not Ambiguous. threatening except for the kid I had bullied when I was younger but anyway so <laughs> the the oh. so we go 
I was like, oh, cool. So I started going on these auditions. And it was really for me to make mental notes of like what video production company or companies that were here in town. Because mm-hmm. I didn't think I was going to get anything. Then I started booking like one gig and then another gig and then yeah. another gig. And I know that feeling where like I've been in doing production for so long, for 20 plus years. So I've been on the other end. Mm-hmm. So to be just the, the talent, you're like, oh, my God, this is so much fun. It's they, they, so fun. It's... And then you realize, like, you get a certain gig where you realize, oh, shit, you got to be ready to come with the goods. Like, you got to be, everybody's looking at you, you know the deal, you got to deliver it. You got to deliver the performance, like, time, you know, a limited amount of time to do it, just make it happen. And that was kind of fun, like, wow, I, I really started, like, dusting off my old technique that I had when I learned throughout, you know, when I was younger, and it was, it's been an interesting ride. I've had yet to have an opportunity to take any acting uh, classes from anybody up here yet, so I've just been kind of doing my best to apply everything that I've learned over the years, but yeah. I do know what you're feeling in terms of that fun play, like, and you being a photographer and, and then back end, that's like production stuff, so knowing how to craft it, so, but when you get to be in front of it, to play in it, it's, it is a treat. It's a yeah. definite treat. So, thank you for interviewing me and letting me talk so much. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. So, all right. So, here we go. So, now we know you've got the arts. It's in you. You, uh, you, you, you kind of glossed over your photography business. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. How did that all start? And, I mean, when you decided, like, what in particular in photography were you going to say, this is my business? Because I have friends who are like, we do like wedding photography or whatever, but no, this is like fashion photography. Yeah. So, um, please okay. go on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, so I photography was like an exception was an exception to the rule for me. It was this weird thing where um, so I've been drawing and and like writing little books and stuff since I was like as early as I can remember writing and drawing and. Um, and yet, I wouldn't ever have ever introduced myself and said like, "Hey, I'm a writer. Hey, I'm a an artist." Like that wasn't that wasn't something that came easily for me. Let me ask you something real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Not to interrupt your story again. Sorry, yeah. listeners. That question of that confidence to be able to say that out loud to say, "I'm an artist." Mm-hmm. Have you gotten com- more comfortable with now? Well, I was getting there. I was oh, gonna shit, say. Sorry. Okay, <laughs> so, I'm gonna shut up now. <laughs> I'm so, sorry. so, so I was gonna say. Um, so, so it didn't come easily for me with writing and um, with the drawing, painting, all of that. But with photography, it was this really weird thing where it was almost too easy for me. First of all, I was never interested in photography ever. I thought it was like an anti-art form. I thought, why the hell do they call it art? You literally take pictures of shit that's already there. Excuse me. Is that bleeped out? No, 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 no. I cuss all the time. So I know, you know, remember, I'm the Antichrist, and you you, okay. you represent the other okay. side. We were doing yin okay. and yang, so okay. go ahead. <laughs> so, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. No, no, no. So photography, you were like, art? That's art? That's not art. It was just like... Yes, yeah. So, um, so I, I met my husband now. Um, and he had a camera. He was, um, he was, he, I think he had his, had his business going for about a year when I met him and he just let me play with his camera, picked it up, started taking pictures, did all the like horrible things that people do with 
DSLRs, like right when they get them, like all the tacky, weird flicker stuff. And but it happened really, really quickly for me. I moved from one stage to the next. I almost think because I had no pressure or expectations on myself for it to ever become anything else. Like it was all play, all play. I moved abroad for a few months right after buying my first camera and taught myself like Photoshop while I was over there and just took pictures of my friends, just took tons of pictures while I was there. And within like six or seven months um, of, of having a camera in my hand, of ever picking up a camera, I was like, I want to be a fashion photographer. And it was that quick. It was that, it was like, it was like I skipped over everything else, all the like hesitations, everything. I was like, I'm a photographer. I'm, you know, I can do this. This is something I'm going to do. I'm a photographer. And it was really, really weird. Like, I don't, I don't even actually know how to explain it. It's like, it felt very um, accessible and it felt very black and white for me. So, um, yeah. And, it, you know, it's kind of funny because I... I, I think that I actually maybe had a little too much confidence at first <laughs> because because I remember going with like my horrible portfolio and like making appointments with all these agencies in town and going in and being like, I want to shoot your models. Your models need to pay me to take pictures of them. <laughs> and like my book was, t- you know, not that good and I had no idea. And, um... I just, yeah, I just, I, I felt like I knew, I had that weird illusion that, that I think is really valuable for artists, that I was, it's like I could see, it's like I knew what I could do eventually. I knew what kind of photos I could take, even though I wasn't taking them at the time. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, like I could visualize. I was like, I know I could take that photo if I just knew a little bit more. Like that's my taste level. That's the that that's the emotion I would want to display. You know, communicate. And so, I always, I was always like, I had a I had a huge like fantasy in my head of the kind of photographer I was <laughs> for a really long time. Yeah. And it worked to my benefit, though, because I just I just kept shooting. You know, I just kept taking more pictures. Um, the very first time I ever learned how to shoot with, like, strobes, which are, which are just the lights that photographers use, um, the first time I set, set one up was, like, ten minutes before I had, like, four models come into my house to shoot, you know. It was like that kind of confidence, like, oh, I can do it. I'll be able to figure it out. And so, yeah, it was, it's been really interesting. That is amazing. So let, I look at your work and it's, um, yeah, it, you have a keen eye for fashion, but when you're working with the models, you are essentially the director. How do you get, pull out emotions from them so you can capture those, those moments so that it feels real even through a, 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 photogra- a photograph? I think that it's 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 because of what I want the final product to be. Um, my expectation of the final image it affects how I direct. So I've always tried to create a really intimate shoot environment. If that makes sense, um, 
Well, here's it's interesting because like I said I mentioned my buddy who's um, in the movie too. Like, because we met because you came on the last minute to jump in for like one night to shoot a scene for my movie The Cube. Yeah. Which we'll, we'll get to. We, it'll come out soon. Anyhow, so this in the movie I have a buddy who's in the movie. He's also an actor, um, but he's also a photographer. He does fashion photography as well. Um, but it's interesting to see the, the what he gets out of his his shots. Um, because he's probably just a pervert. So anyway, no, it's kidding. I love him. He knows it. So th- th- he gets much like this very seductive, sultry looks out of his models. You know, um, one maybe because they're half closed. But anyway, the, the, you know what I'm saying is you've seen those types of fashion models yeah. that that, and yours has a, like this sort of aspirational funness to it. Like you know, like there's still sexiness to it, but it's not um, this. But it's, there's a playfulness to it, or like there's, but it's still very, you know, very polished, and it's very cool because it feels there's still some naturalistic um, theme to it, you know. So like you know what I'm saying that there's some photographers that it looks like it's it's basic. Here's my three light setup. Here's it looks so studio. It's it's a little bit too removed from reality. Right. Where yours has there's still like this connection to reality where you feel like you as a viewer of your work can feel like I could see myself in that little world that you've created in this ad or whatever so but I noticed that your your models have a there's a there feels like a much more playfulness to it hmm. is that I don't know if that's how you see it but you know yeah um, you know it's interesting to hear people's translations I get like whimsical a oh, lot which mm-hmm. is that's let's go back to mannequin yeah you know it all comes full circle <laughs> yeah um, and, and obviously, you know, I create things. I'm, you know, it's my job, so I commercialize my work. And, and sometimes I create things for clients that are... But it should still have my voice in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, So some of it has less of that. But I would say that that's, that's a big thing for me is I want things to stand out because I want it... I want... Um, I want there to be... A really clear emotion. Even if people can't place it, I'm not a fan of the model face or that like really mm-hmm. stereotypical sexy face. To me, it's just really bland and uninteresting. It's been done, done, done. It's always been done. And not to say there isn't a place for that, but that isn't that isn't what I do. So you know, even if I were to direct a model to have a model face, I would put her in such a, like, strange environment that there would be, like, a juxtaposition. There would be a contrast that would make it more interesting, that would make it emote something to the viewer. So, I don't know. No, that's cool. It's really fascinating. Like I said, it's like, I said, like, my buddy's work is, you can see, like, his flavor, and so... Yeah. Like, you know, my headshots look like I, I want to have sex with... No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't... It doesn't he doesn't do that for me. He didn't, he didn't pull any of that stuff out for me. I had to keep my shirt on and everything. So anyway, so the, uh, it was probably good. Um, let's move on to the next thing, which is part of the story, which okay. is fantastic. This is really great to have people understand artistically. You mentioned a little bit about your writing, and that's how we met, because you were uh, taking... Randall Johnson's class, our friend who's a screenwriter, yeah. um, and and I don't know how you found me. Or like was it f- like a friend's referral? I, I remember sending emails out like, "Hey, I'm looking for an actress to do this, this, and this." 
And I don't Randall. Randall sent it. Okay. Yeah. So then, right. So then that's how you said, hey, I'll do this. So that's so you have this writing. Um, are you currently writing a novel, screenplay? What are you working on now, writing wise? Um, well, I have a couple of short films that I um, have finished right now. So I have a psychological thriller, and then I have a really sweet little like romantic comedy. It's really cute. <laughs> um, and I just had a reading for the for the romantic comedy, and like a little table read you did. Yeah, something? I did a little right. table read. And um, and I actually I've been talking to James Westby. I don't know if you know. Why does that sound familiar? Um, Westby. He, the movie Rid of Me. Yes, yes, that's and why. the auteur. Okay. Yeah. So, um, he is going to. He was interested in directing it, but then I had a conversation with him, and he was like, "Well, you know, if you want something for your real, maybe you want something like grittier, because a lot of the roles that are out there." Are, are going to be pretty commercial and sweet and mm-hmm. stuff. But I really, I'm partial to my screenplay after the table read. So um, everything that I've written so far and finished have been um, short film screenplays. And then I have um, an outline for my first feature that I'm lo- I just, the idea is so rad. Um, I just can't seem to write it. It intimidates me hmm, to start writing a after, feature. After everything you've done, starting a photography business, like having like, hey, no big deal. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm doing this. This it's funny what people get. Like we are the barriers we put up. Yeah, yes. hang ups. I don't want to say that. I was trying to say barriers. <laughs> your issues. I'm going to your issues. So okay. Let's talk about my mom. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> <laughs> two part story, yeah. It um, might be two part. Only it's, this this interview might only be two parts because I'm blabbing so much. But um, that's pretty fascinating. So it's cool. So you are a well rounded artist. Um, have you? Do you want to direct and um, your films too? Hell no. <laughs> God no. <laughs> no no. So. <laughs> so maybe later I would be interested in writing and directing other people in films that I wrote, but right now it's just, um, one thing that I understand is that you can't be great at everything. You can be great at one or two things, honestly, let's be honest here, right? And then other things suffer, because you can't put 100% even into two things, like it's just, you sacrifice something for the other, and so... (laughs) I'm putting the brakes on and saying, okay, LaVenda, don't direct. <laughs> okay. Don't produce. Um, I go the opposite. Like, I'm, my hands are in everything. Your hands are in everything. So that probably explains why it's just sort of like, meh. <laughs> no, no, but... I'm teasing you, but it's funny. I'm going, I don't mean it. I don't do it by design. Like, I, don't want, I, I just like, oh, shit, nobody's doing this. Well, I better yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I get that, too. It's like I create prob- uh problems for myself (laughs) projects I create projects for myself Um, you know I get the ball rolling I do more production I do you know but the thing is is my day job like I work full time as a fashion photographer that Mm -hmm. includes production directing um, photography set design the whole thing and then in addition to that I'm either um, working you know 20 to 30 hours a week as an actress or taking classes and really honing in on my craft. Like, I'm not doing any of this, like, just to put my hands in it. Like, it's it's these two things, acting and photography. Like, 
Uh, I wish I could do it 200%. I wish I had 200% so that I could put... I know, you're, sometimes you, you got this feeling, like, if I could just break myself apart, yes. like, I would love to just focus on that. Yes. There's this uh, entrepreneurial... Um, podcast I follow and they talk the, the word focus yeah and it's the acronym for follow one course until success so that's yes. just like that's what you're saying to be very successful at which is great because um, I, I hear you like full time photographer making your living that because that's that's how we follow you but you have had a gangbuster year for sure acting wise um, I was talking to Dennis the other day our agent and he was just like Oh, Lavenda! Oh my God, she's just been crazy, blowing up. You know, yeah. She's that other like non-threatening ethnic, yeah. <laughs> ethnic look that's just like killing it. But she doesn't eat as many cookies, so she's good. You know, like so I'm losing out to you. That's I good. do, I do eat cookies. I do after my run, after oh. my morning run. Damn it! I, I need, I need like a, I need an intervention. So anyway, um, that's awesome. So let's move into. Story-wise, they always talk about um, a lot of great stories or mythologies and stuff. Have a mentor? Do you, do you ever have a mentor or like a you know an Obi Wan Kenobi or somebody that says that just help you set your course? Um, I've had a few. So I would say with photography, um, Paolo Roversi. He's a He's a fashion photographer with a really oh my god, you would die. His stuff is like very ethereal. Um, he's one of the old, like, um... Is he local or something? Just a no, no, no. Huge, okay. huge. I mean, he's shot for every major fashion. Sorry, sorry for me being stupid. I will yeah. find out. I will listen to this, and then I'll get that down, and I'll put it in the, in the, in the links. Okay, yeah. Paolo Roversi. So he's known for um, his lighting. He does these really slow exposure... Um, um, shots that he's famous for and his his portfolio is like incredible you know like I said he's shot for every major fashion publication across the world um, but he has this really fantastical quality whimsical quality to his work very sexy um, but sexy in like in like an, in an Adam and Eve way like where you go back to the beginning of time and it's timeless like wow Yes, I may want to like sleep with that beautiful model, guy or girl, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> but but I also I also want to like take care of her. You know what I'm saying? Where there's something more, where it goes deeper than that, like that that it's sensual. It's right moving past just sexual to sensual and timeless. Beautiful. Yeah. You know, beautiful work. So he inspired. He has inspired my style. Um, him and maybe like Steven Mizell, who's a little more um, edgy, a little more current. Um, but and then as far as acting goes, um, mentors. Man, I would actually say like it's pretty incredible. Like you mentioned, Dennis. Um, and he has really influenced my focus, hmm. like, this year. So I signed with them, like, five or six months ago. I know. And You've been killing it. Yeah, it's been really crazy. And before that, I was like, 
you know, I was working, I felt like I was working just as hard, but I didn't have somebody there keeping me accountable. So when I came into the office and I was like, I'll work 110%, he was like, well, I'm going to hold you to that. Like, first of all, get a new headshot. This one sucks. Second of all, sign up with an acting class. You're not busy enough. I'm like, okay, okay. I mean, he is on it. He, he, he completely, I would say he's the very first true mentor when it comes to that because he just keeps me really focused it's like he sees my potential and and I think he does this for you know all of his actors but I no, asked no, for no, it <laughs> I asked for it I came in and I was like I want you to push me he's like okay I'm gonna push you and um, it makes all the difference you know having having somebody who's saying wait this was your course you know that is awesome. No, he's been great, you know, although he hasn't pushed me on anything. No, it's like, it's, you know what it is? I feel this overwhelming obligation to them as an agency to, yeah. like, to make sure, like, you know, they're working their asses off for 10, 15, 20%, you know, so I feel like if I have an opportunity to land it, I will, and I'll represent the agency as best I can, you know, yeah. and be professional. And um, I think a lot of it, too, is. Um, my wife jokes around. It's like, it's so funny because she knows it's not that I'm not serious about it, but it's not like I, it's not like oh, my, my whole life is like, I got to act. It's stuff like I, when the time comes, the time to do the job, like I'll focus and, and practice and, and use all the techniques that I've, that I studied and try to bring it together and force my daughter to always read the lines for me. We're going to school. I go, read these lines. And she always <laughs> reads these lines. I read back to her. And then she's like, you suck, dude. So it's like, so, but the, the but you know, it's just like, I, the support system at home is like, it keeps me grounded. Because it's like, they're like, dude, no, no, no. I was like, ah, oh, so that makes me work harder because the, the, it's not like they're blowing smoke in my ass. Oh, well, heck no. My daughter will tell me straight up, oh, you fail. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, ah. Oh. But, um, but yeah, that's sort of it. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, Dennis has been great, and I'm actually supposed to have him on as a podcast one of these days. So oh my god, we'll have some. He has some talks. great stuff to say. Yes, for sure. Well, and speaking of that, I mean, that's the other thing about a true mentor is like Dennis doesn't paint. He doesn't see the world through rose-colored glasses, and he isn't trying to paint some fantasy world for me. Literally, every phone conversation, he'll be like okay, well, you know, this is super great, and you're on fire, and, you know, we're really excited for you. This has been a great year, but you're going to have a bad time of year, you know? And he reminds me of it. <laughs> Literally, every single time, he's like, it's going to be dry spells, and there's going to be a time when you don't work, where you can't book anything. And I'm like, I know, Dennis. You told me this earlier today when we were talking. You know what that I'm is, saying? That's funny. I don't get that from him. I think he just he just cut the bullshit, because he looked at my, my, my resume and stuff, he's like, You've been around a long time. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm old enough now. So yeah. he, he just kind of like goes, look, I can send you out. I know he how, I know you know how things kind of work because of my production experience and yeah. background. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you, you know what? Just go out there and we book it, we book it, you know? So it's all it's all been good. But it's really cool. It's it's interesting to hear how he has to work with each person, I know, because each, each talent has a different need. And he def, it does, sounds like he definitely personalizes his approach and, and works at it. But he is... Works his tail off for sure. Oh my I gosh! Know. Yeah. So we'll get more on him later. Well, that's okay. cool. Those two mentors. So now the story, like the arc of stories, is that you know you have your ordinary world, you have your save the cat moment, you have your inciting incident, you have your mentor, and then you have your troubles. It's the conflict, you know. Uh-oh. But we'll get to that. <laughs> but the big one, they always talk about. There's always a point in the story near the end, and it's called like the hero 
enters the inmost cave, like the the deepest, darkest cave where they have to fight the last monster. You know, right. like everything they learned, you know, from their mentors, from their experiences, all comes to this one point, this moment. Yeah. Do you have like a very dark moment that you fought through? And the idea and story, the story structure is that when you, when a protagonist a hero fights through that moment, they come through the other side with this elixir, meaning like this, you want to be mystical, magical, like this mis- magical potion that they fought for, they, and now they have to take back to the village. They take back to the village and they share it amongst the people that need the help. That's sort of the, the general story arc for a lot of stories. Yeah. So now, the question is, do you have like that dark moment where you push through that major conflict and then you came through with it with this elixir that you were able that you could share with us oh my god i have a few of those too oh my gosh we it's have to, not it's not we don't like have to we <laughs> we can do more than one podcast like it's not like you know so like we'll just do this one see you, you tomorrow pick, right okay, so I, I look like i'm probably gonna break this up into two parts but okay it's all good um your part and then my part right <laughs> Did you hear that? Tss, that was the burn sound. Yes. It's, I, I okay. Should, I should just have one one version. It's like, and so what do you think about that? And you're like, well, ah, uh, cut back to me and exactly, I answer the question. Exactly. I love it. It's been pretty bad. Okay. <laughs> and back to you. And Go. back to me. Um, so I can think of sort of three big moments. A really defining one for me was... Um, with my family. So I grew up, um, I moved up to Oregon um, and moved in with an auntie. So um, I have, there's, there's, we have some family troubles in my family. And um, I ended up, me and my little brother, who I'm nine years older than him, um, me and him were adopted by an aunt up here in Oregon. So, um, went to high school and everything, living with them, and thus inherited five extra siblings. So there were seven of us in high school. Right. So um, I would say that really important moment for me, I I ended up being, so I'm the second eldest, and I ended up being, um, being sort of the only sibling who who did well, if that, like, functions in the world and does well and everything. And, um, and because of that, I, I had a lot of this family responsibility. I was constantly, if I lived at the coast, I lived at the coast for a year when I went to school and then living up here in Portland, um, I was constantly traveling back to my small, you know, hometown to help, to help, help, help all the time with my family. And... Um, I eventually, like, I would say, like, five or six years ago, I hit a point where I realized, like, this is, this isn't a, I don't want this to be a part of my story anymore. You know, I can't, the way that, the way that all of this is working, you know, it doesn't, it isn't beneficial for me, it isn't beneficial for them. And so, it was really interesting, though. Like, I realized that loving my family was letting them go a little bit, you know, letting some of that responsibility yeah. go. I was taking on responsibility that they didn't even ask me to, you know what I'm saying? And so, um, yeah, I would say that that was like a really big defining 
life-defining moment. And it's changed the course of my life, you know, being so, able to... So the elixir, you let, by letting go, by fighting through that, that dark side, the dark moment, just like letting go, and then now you have this elixir, this, this information... Have you been able to pass it on to, like, a friend or anything like that? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, becoming a mom, Ah. it, like, right, it motivates you. So I think I must have been pregnant when I, when I finally said, okay, I can't, I can't do this anymore, you know, because, um, being around people who are unable to live healthy lives, it it invites their chaos into your own life. There's just no way. There's no way to not, you know, allow that to happen. And so when it was no longer just affecting me, but I had like a little girl coming into the world, I was like, wow, you know, I'm, I was inspired to do it for her. I could have never done it. I would have still been like trying to mother, parent, save all my siblings if it hadn't been for you know my daughter and I was like you know I want to I want to have a clean slate for her when she comes you know I want to invite her into a better life and a better world and so yeah she was the motivating factor and fascinating that makes yeah. sense that's cool I mean I think I think a lot of people can relate to that or might be struggling with the same thing and be like you know anyway it's really cool because we were getting to know Lavenda, the human, the person. So there you go. <laughs> I know. I feel like very, like, it's like burying my soul in a cafe with a microphone in my face. These aren't microphones. Yes, they are. These gigantic <laughs> microphones are snogging. Very cool. So now you have that. We have this experience as an artist. We know where the creativity uh, comes from. There's pain, too. But that's yeah. part of the, the, the story. How does it all come together with business? Be, now or I'll move into the business part of it. And I, I mentioned in uh, the questionnaires, there's four basic principles of business. You have your your supply, basically your product or your service. So what would... We, in your business, let's take like photography, for example. Is it a product or a service or both? Um, I would actually consider... It depends on who my client is. Most of the time it's a product, though. I see it as a product because um, I'm a specialist. I specialize in, in what I do, and not everybody. Um, it would be a service if you went to like J.C. Penney and had, you know, click click some photos taken. Oh, I it's see. A service, this, you know what right, I'm saying? Right. Or um, yeah, so so it's pretty. It's almost always collaborative in what we're doing. So people are looking for a product from me most often. However, you know, with headshots. Um, oftentimes that's a different I don't know I would say then it's a product as well because they're looking for um, you know a tool that's true that's to true. market themselves so yeah so now you have that's the supply and then the demand is sort of the audience of the customers but you say in photography you have clients um, I guess that's the question is who would be your clients or your audience um, for for the type of work that you do? Um, I have a lot of clients who are clothing designers, jewelry designers, boutique owners, um, shoe designers, modeling agencies, models, actors, 
sometimes people just who are in the film industry who who just need headshots, you know, professional headshots. Um, and then what I'm working towards are having more um, editorial clients. So I would like to be shooting for magazines more. Um, and I do, I do shoot for a couple of um, a couple of publications. But I would like, you know, I'd like to grow that clientele. So. So another part of the principle is uh, letting people know about your product and having it. This and the fourth one is distribution or the being able to have for your clients or your customers to have access to your product. Um, how do you go about the the marketing promotion and the distribution of your product? So. Um, oh my god, that is like such the. Blah. <laughs> um, that is always growing. And changing for me. Um, I've understood that marketing is, is, it's literally half of the business. I mean, it's got to be more than half of the business because I see people out there who aren't, who aren't more, very more, talented. More <laughs> sizzle, just, less steak. Let, yeah, that? exactly. Let's be real here. Yeah. Um, who are, who aren't even offering a fantastic product, but they have amazing marketing surrounding them. And that can look like, I mean, marketing is, is really interesting. Marketing and branding extends so much farther than, than most of us even realize. But for me, what's been really cool is riding the wave the past couple of years of all of the multimedia marketing. So creating um, an Instagram, creating a business Facebook page, and really, and, and I am a, I've been slow to Twitter, but I, but I do have a Twitter now. Um, and marketing myself through that so that I'm constantly networking um, and putting myself out there. I, I would say that I bring on at least 50% of my clients just organic. Well, I don't know if you consider that organically, but through multimedia sites, people find me or I find them. Um, and then beyond that, um, you know, I just met with a new, with a graphic designer who's going to help me. Um, recreate and relaunch my logo design so that um, you know I'm, I'm creating a whole new blog um, that will combine um, my fashion photography and my fashion blogging because fashion blogging um, has actually brought on a lot more of a following for me and it has helped me network with a lot more people in the fashion industry um, so I need a I need to have a device to sort of um, combine those. But anyway, going back to I, it, it, it's constantly evolving and growing. It's so interesting. Um, right now, marketing is is always changing, and so hmm. yeah. So it's taking your experience with that, with your you know you running your own business, running your own service. Um, how would filmmakers like if they? You know, if you're making a film, like, so you make your short film or you're working or acting in a film, like, the discussion about, now this is a product, right? A film product. It mm -hmm. exists. It's tangible. What ways are, have you seen people trying to create, like, a marketing around it, a distribution channel around it? Because that's always been sort of the, the biggest issue for a lot of um, independent filmmakers. It's like, I made it. Now what do I do with it, you know? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, with film, it's, um, I did get a, I created a trailer and, um, I helped produce, um, 
a, a trailer and a campaign for a short film that I, I had written last year. Um, but I think that it can start with the same tools. You know, you create a buzz while you're filming. So you create a following. You create... Um, buzz is really important. I mean, it may be sort of... However you may feel about it emotionally, um, it's valid because keeping people connected and reminding them that you're working on something um, with our short attention spans and how much we're stimulated by content, it's important to keep people in the loop even as you're creating. And then so that when the content is, you know, when the film is done and you're ready to distribute, you you already have a following. You're already connected with people who are interested in, in what you're distributing. Now, beyond that, obviously, people, <laughs> you know, there's PR agencies. There's um, there's a whole list of basically agents who, who will help distribute, who will help, you know. But on a smaller scale, I think it is that. Like, people, people can fill up a theater here in Portland, you mm-hmm. know. And, and fill the seats, but you just have to keep people involved. You know, you nowadays, nowadays. Whoa, <laughs> how old am I? I know, remember it's changing so so quickly. So everything you just said was just out of was out of date, and it's over. Yeah, <laughs> on to the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, right now, because everything is changing so quickly, you know. Facebook is sort of being phased out. So if your audience is from the ages from like 14 to 18, Facebook is no longer the way to reach them. Mm-hmm. Kids are moving from Facebook now to Instagram. And Instagram is, is changing right now. The next thing is either going to be like Snapchat or Vine or, you know, you have to stay on top of um, what's happening and how, how to reach your target audience. You know, be smart about it. There you go. You actually summed it up. This is the reason I'm, I'm doing this podcast. A lot of it is this is considered content marketing. So somebody coming to want to hear or have, listen to the discussions about filmmakers becoming entrepreneurs or just on getting a bigger picture of that or how people, different people are, are handling it. Um, in between all this stuff, I'll throw in like, yeah, I made this film called The Cube. I made it for nothing. I didn't have a crew. And... I just made it just to get it, just to make it. It was like a really like a, a barfing of like, you know, something creative, like just to get out of my system. So it's probably the most accurate way to describe right. it. <laughs> so I did it, but I realized I didn't have any of that stuff in place. I didn't have a following because I didn't really know what I had. So when it's finished, that's where I was like, oh, crap. Now I have to do the marketing stuff, but I have to do marketing stuff on a boot uh, bootstrapping level. So meaning that I don't, I'm not... I'm not hiring a publicist or anything like that. It's like, this is like no money. This is just basically time and commitment trying to make this thing happen. Yeah. So this con- the podcast is part of the, the marketing campaign for this uh, and for me and, and for future projects. Is simply like, as I'm here trying to offer a little bit of value to other filmmakers or artists listening in to other people go through these things. Uh, their challenges. Um, maybe I can offer something fun and entertaining and valuable. But in the meantime, I'll throw in there, like, guess what? Yeah, we met on making this movie of mine. That's the first time I met you. Yeah. And then you found out you signed up with the same agency. And I see you on Instagram and, you know, social media. And I was like, and hey. And uh, auditions. Auditions. That's right. <laughs> they were like, hey, that you're taking away from me. No, it's good. No, I, can't. I tease you. We the, go out for the same roles. We do. When they're looking for, you know, a beautiful, young, non 
you know, threatening, -threatening ethic, yeah. ethic person. I, I, Dennis sends me that way. But he doesn't give me the same advice he gives you. So <laughs> I'm going to have to talk to him about that. So the <laughs> so that's what this is. And it's it's fascinating to hear you. You have, because you have that real world business application with your photography business to be able to see how that could be applied to film. It is fascinating to hear, and it's good because you're you're saying the right things because this is what the sort of the gurus out there or the professional advocates are saying. Build your buzz. It's it's your film is be, almost beyond just what what it is when it's finished. It, ha, it has to have life on its own. Beyond, it has to extend past just what is in there for the ninety minutes or two hours. Yeah. You know? I think I could probably fill a theater here in Portland as long as it's like twenty seats or something. I think I, I think I have a good shot at that. Let's shoot a little higher because we could fill it. Maybe. So I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's sort of it. So now you've taken us on this journey through all all the stuff you've gone gone through. Do you have like one bit of advice, both artistically and maybe business wise, for anybody listening? Yeah, I mean, I think that that what you what you've done with the cube um, is really important. I think that creating content and creating content is sometimes the most important the most important part um, is actually like getting up and you have a screenplay or you have an idea and you want to like write it out with somebody or whatever it is um, is the first part. You know, getting it done. And then the second part is like surrounding yourself with people who are incredibly talented, who are really talented, um, and who are really passionate. Because there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stories being told. You know, yeah. there's a lot of movies being made, and figuring out a way to to make it stand out and figuring out your voice um, can sometimes be molded as you go by surrounding yourself with talented people you know and passionate people this is funny um i've done a lot of all this stuff on my own because it's just like my background is like i can you know make a lot of stuff on my yeah. myself so i'm looking for you know more and more people to collaborate with um i don't know if i whether i have this bad karma of like of my bowling days <laughs> so the, <laughs> so no i was like envious i look into like hey, it's like this person's working with this like they have like partners and stuff like yeah. i don't have a partner yeah it's like it's myself and my daughter's cat and her dog in the house that's it no right so, <laughs> but this is also uh, this podcast is for me too to extend myself out to the community to see if i can't meet more people and you know see what's going going on out there the yeah. acting thing has really been fantastic because i've had an opportunity to meet more and more people than I, I hadn't had. So even though I've been here for the three years, it's only been less than a year that I've actually made the effort to, to meet more and more uh, people in the community. I only knew Randall because my father and Randall had worked on this uh, project, video game project together, and they lived in the same neighborhood. So when I moved, we moved up here. Well, thank you. Thank you. So we moved up here. That's where he's like, you know, hey, you should meet. Thank you. I'm good. He was like, hey, you know, just... You should meet this guy, and then our family set it off. So and that's how he just invited me to the classes and all that kind of stuff. And so he was my one go-to guy to meet a lot of other people. Yeah, but that's how it had worked out. Anyway, we not too bad. We're an hour and a half. I think we can get all this into uh, one podcast. <laughs> we don't have to break it up. I could probably get down to an hour if I just cut my stuff out. But okay. <laughs> oh, 
sad. No, I, I think an hour and a half is good. I've, we'll get it good. It's actually it's very, very cool to listen to everything that you've done. And what's the best way for people to follow you? Is it Instagram, Twitter? Yeah, Instagram is really growing. Um, I have a lot of followers on my Facebook page, which is just, you know, And you got a fan page? I saw that. Memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my photography fan page. You have a photography and an actress one. I do. I saw that. I do. And I wanted to write back like, what? <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to create one for myself. Option requires that. You didn't get the letter? No. They require See? it of their, of their uh, models. To, oh. to create a fan base. Remember, I eat too many cookies. I'm not quite the model. <laughs> I'm that guy, like, you know, but they need to put a sweater on. That, that's <laughs> so, yes, I don't have a fan okay. page. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that's just been, you know. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Instagram is, is really great if you want to see, you know, cool pictures, like snapshots. So what is it, at Lavenda Memory? Yeah, it's always Lavenda Memory. Okay, you know what? I'll post it up so <laughs> those who find it get all the links and stuff like that. So yeah. we'll make sure that people can find you. Fabu. Well, thanks for taking your time out on this blustery uh, fall day. Looks like we're going to have a, um, our liquid sunshine all weekend. So that's all good. <laughs> we had some good coffee. It's yeah. All good and well, you had your chocolate croissant. I know. <laughs> Damn it. I, I feel bad about it now. No. no. I'm just <laughs> you had a banana. Jesus Christ. All right. So um, thank you so much. Yes. That's thank it. you. We're done. Awesome. Fabulous.